I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. I think you're going to find this podcast interesting. Uh, Two guests, uh, very different, but uh, interesting conversations. We're going to start with Yahoo Sports' Kendall Baker, who is a senior writer there and is heading up the company's newsletter and cross-platform strategy. Definitely people in this audience, I am sure, who subscribe to Kendall Baker's newsletter at Axio Sports, which is one of the most popular sports newsletters out there. And he has been an innovator and a forerunner in this sports newsletter space. So we have a long conversation on sports newsletters, what he's going to be doing with Yahoo Sports. And I think, particularly if you're a content creator, it's probably going to be some ideas that Kendall put out there that you might be able to use for your content growth. But again, this is somebody who was at the forefront of sports newsletters and now obviously works for one of the biggest dogs out there. So Kendall Baker to start. And then Jenny Carlson, who people at least in the middle of the country know as a longtime sports columnist for the Oklahoman, which is the largest daily newspaper in Oklahoma. She has since, after 24 years at the Oklahoman, moved on to selloutcrowd.com. That's a new sports digital startup. Starts on September 1st. They're going to cover Oklahoma State, University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder, obviously recruiting when it comes to the colleges. And we have a conversation just on leaving legacy newspapers for startup. They have um, some funding. They have a pretty good group of people who are starting with them. And even if you don't live in Oklahoma City and you're not a fan of the teams I mentioned, I think you'll just find it interesting. Here's someone who's really established in her marketplace who decides to go off and try to make hay in a digital startup. So Kendall Baker to start, and then Jenny Carlson coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. This is somebody, obviously, who I've known about in the, in the in, as, as they would say in the buzzwords, in space for uh, quite some time, and has really made his mark when it comes to sports newsletters. Um, way ahead of the curve on this stuff. And this is something that obviously sports media companies, um, it's now a must-have. It's not even, a, I think, a want anymore. And uh, really, a few better people in the in the country to talk about this than Kendall Baker, who uh, was recently hired by Yahoo Sports to be a senior writer at Yahoo. He will head up that company's newsletter and cross-platform strategy. Our timing is really good because um, Kendall Baker's first newsletter for Yahoo Sports comes out today. Although, of course, by the magic of podcasting, we're taping this a couple days before that. And I'm pleased to uh, be joined by Kendall Baker. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having me, Richard. Big fan of the show. Uh, Happy to be on. So um, before we get into sort of a writ large conversation about about sports newsletters, you had immense success, Kendall, at Axios for a number of years, obviously built up an audience, probably could have been there for... um, certainly a longer period, but you made a decision to, to head to Yahoo Sports to, to begin this new adventure. Why? Well, I think there's a few reasons. One, the first and foremost for me is I really wanted to be in a true you know, sports newsroom. At Axios, me, myself and Jeff Tracy, who wrote the newsletter with me, like we were our sports department. Um, and there were some advantages to that, certainly, and kind of giving you, you know, the carte blanche to kind of cover sports how we wanted to, but 
as somebody who's obsessed with sports and somebody who's covering sports in the weeds every day, there's something you can't really replace, you know, the fact that I now have colleagues who cover each of these sports who are really, uh, you know, tuned into specific sports on, on beats, things like that. So the, the potential, I think now that we are not kind of on our own in a silo at an organization, but part of a larger sports newsroom, the, the, the opportunities that presents are immense. And, and I'm really excited about that. And then secondly, is just, the scale of Yahoo. I mean, 90 million global sports fans is kind of shocking number to me when I was told that. Um, so, you know, I, as somebody who writes this newsletter and really believes in newsletters, like I want to reach as many people as I can. And I want to, you know, take sports fans and turn them into bigger sports fans and find people who, you know, maybe aren't sports fans and make it really easy for them to, to start following along. So the more people I can reach, the better. All right. So for people who don't get a sports newsletter in their inbox, whether it's from uh, Axios Sports or The Athletic or whatever your local, um, you know, sort of news site is, give us um, from your perspective, what what is a sports newsletter? Yeah. So I think there's obviously different formats, different cadences, you know, some are weekly, some are a few days a week, some are daily. Um, so I think it somewhat depends on uh, on that. But generally, I think the best newsletters um, in sports are really, really covering anything um, these days is, you know, newsletters are a perfect medium for making it easier for people to stay caught up. I think we're overwhelmed with information. You log on to a social media site, you immediately start scrolling. Your brain's already in kind of overwhelmed mode. There's no real order to it. There's not a, a it's not finite. So it's not, you know, there's no end really. And so I think that the, the beauty of a newsletter when it's well done is that it, it, you know, leans into curation, certainly, um, you know, you could have original reporting there too, for sure. But, you know, a really good sports newsletter is something that almost takes everything you need to know, puts it into one place, makes it extremely digestible for you. And I think the goal for me, and I would assume anybody doing a daily sports newsletter is once that reader is finished with that newsletter, they should feel caught up. They should feel like they really have a sense of what's going on and quite frankly, can now move and and proceed with their day, right? Like you, you're, you're, you're providing a service of, there's a certain feel when you feel like you're caught up, you feel like there's nothing else to read. If you trust that person, everything's in there. You, you can quite literally, okay, now I can go do my job or whatever it is. And, and I feel good. You know, so the logic obviously would state when it comes to these things that you have to be working at night, Kendall, like in order to have the best possible version of your um, sports newsletter in someone's inbox in the morning, you essentially have to know everything that happened the night before. Does that mean that your work hours traditionally are, you know, I don't know, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m.? So it's, it's interesting. I've actually done this sports newsletter in two places and two time zones. So originally I was in San Francisco, so on the West Coast, and now I'm on the East Coast. So when I was on the West Coast, I leaned into a little bit more of staying up late. So I would be writing until probably like 2, 3 a.m. And then I would sleep in. Um, I felt a little bit like a college student doing that. And then when I moved to the East Coast, I've kind of flipped it to an, to an extent where I just wake up extremely early now and try to go to bed at a more reasonable hour. Obviously, um, when I do that... Jeff Tracy, who I read the newsletter with, will be the one staying up and watching those games. So we, yes, we always have to have somebody who's up relatively late. I think anybody who works in sports media knows that's kind of a, a must if, if you're working in this business uh, f- for many people. So, um, you know, people ask me all the time, like, what are your hours? You know, how, how, how long does it take to put this newsletter together? Because we're responding to so much news in real time, it, it's really hard to say. Um, you know, if there's, a, if there's a really important West Coast NBA game that night, my day is different than if there's not. So, Hard to say. I'm, I'm certainly up late or up early, either one, depending on what's going on. From my perspective, the most successful newsletters are the ones where the writer's voice um, is injected in the newsletter. Obviously, there's, um, there's a comprehensive element to it. I think the best newsletters are comprehensive. There are some newsletters that really pride themselves on original reporting, where others, I think, are just really great curators. Um, for you... Um, it seems in your previous, the, the, the previous ones that you have done prior to Yahoo voice is really, am I correct? Like voice is really important to you. Like you want, you want people to know that this is sort of you and not just like some AI bot pop popping out a newsletter. 
Certainly. Yeah. I think voice is important, as you said, for, for all the reasons you mentioned. You know, I think about it like, look, if you're sending somebody an email, you're you're sliding into their DMs, if you will. You're sliding into their inbox. If it's their personal email, maybe you're you're, you know, you look at those those emails, you're right next to the email from their mom. Uh, you're in their work email, you're right next to an email from their boss. So if you're already coming to a place where the, where people are already getting kind of personal information, personal messaging, it makes sense to lean into that. Um, you know, the inbox is a very personal space. Hmm. Where do you um, where do you philosophically stand on adding opinion to a newsletter? Yeah, um, certainly not opposed to doing that. Um, I think for me, where I try to inject opinion, if you will, is you know you mentioned before um, newsletters that really lean into curation and kind of guiding people through the day. I try to inject my opinion or my personality through that. So like you know instead of me leading a, 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 the newsletter with a an op ed essentially. I'll try to you know lead with the top story of the day, but maybe add my take at the bottom real quickly, or simply you know I think also the 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 fact of the, the stories that I choose are also me kind of injecting my personality or my opinion in a sense, and so I don't try and hit people over the head with it, especially because I like to have a newsletter that has multiple entry points, and if you know you open it and the top story is not really something you care as much about, scroll right past it, go to the second one. Like I don't I, the last thing I want to do is have an opinion at the top that uh, hits people over the head at 6 a.m. in the morning, I'd much rather you know make it a little bit more digestible than that and inject it um, more organically, if you will. What, what has Yahoo Sports told you in terms of using their content versus um, using content from other publications, which could, quite frankly could be competitors of theirs? Yep, it's a great question. And it was one of my first questions uh, when I was considering making the move because I feel very strongly that the second I start prioritizing Yahoo to the point that I'm not organically sharing what I deem to be the most important news of the day is when you lose reader trust. So uh, I'm very much been told, hey, like th th this should be the absolute must read newsletter for all sports fans. Obviously, we have a ton of great content at Yahoo and I'm going to be sharing that, of course, but there's not going to be any situation where, you know, I'm going to literally not share, you know, something from ESPN because they're a competitor. I'm not going to share the best thing I read in the athletic today because they're a competitor. I think the way to build reader trust is to say, look, this is the best stuff regardless of source. And by the way, we have a ton of great stuff too. So it's not like I have to bend over backwards to include, you know, the great work my colleagues are doing. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And I think that's very smart uh, um, analysis. Um, so five days a week for the newsletter and what time can readers expect it in their inbox? Yep. Five days a week, at least to start. And uh, we're aiming for 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m. In, in that range. I've actually found over the years, it's, it sounds a little uh, backwards, but you know, based on the data I've seen and, and feedback from readers, like you'd think that readers want the email to arrive at the same exact time every morning. And actually, they, the, the feedback I've gotten is like, it feels a little bit too programmed if it arrives at exactly 7 a.m. every morning. And so if it's a little late, if it's a little earlier, depending on, you know, sometimes there's like a news story that comes out at 7 a.m. And if that comes, instead of me sending it because that's when they send it, maybe I write that really quick and send it at 7.15. So 7, 7.30 range is, is what we're, we're aiming for. So the two things that I've heard from people who do newsletters, um, at The Athletic for sure, and then uh, at Sports Illustrated, we did it we were very, very early in doing it. And really never really figured out, I think, the sort of the most the, the, be the best practice to do it on. But one is obviously the, the email that you receive some, from someone is incredibly important. So this is like real, um, you know, it's real data, valuable data. You're getting somebody's email. They're giving something personal to you. So that's part one that's huge. The second thing, Kendall, and I'm sure you saw this, is the um, – the open rate for newsletters is crazy high uh, when it comes to I, – I I'll only use my own expertise in sports. I'm sure this is the same for the New York Times and Washington Post, et cetera. But do you have thoughts on that? Like, you know, you would think, you know, sort of I think instinctively that, oh, man, this is another, you know, another email that I got to deal with, another email that I'm just going to drop to my um, junk file or trash file. But the reality is, like, many times this might be the only thing – that a person sort of checks out from a particular brand that they like. So it really has become, I think, an essential part of a brand's um, DNA or an essential part of their monetizing strategy. But you've been doing this for a long time. What's your thought on it? I, I could not agree more with, with your analysis there. I think 
sometimes I describe a really well done daily newsletter as like, we're sending you our homepage instead of relying on you to come to our homepage. By the way, people don't really go to websites as much as they did anymore. It's, it's you know, I think the automatic uh, move for most people these days is they just open a social media app and kind of immediately are in this mindless state. There's no real intention. Um, and so if you can send people what is essentially your homepage or, or send them, you know, what they get if they went to your homepage, you're not then relying on them remembering to do that or remembering to open your app. You're coming right to them and you're going to the inbox, the email app, which is for most people, one of maybe three, four, five apps that everybody opens multiple times a day. So like, you know, any media executive will tell you, we want to create content and we want to put it where people are. Well, people are in their inbox and people are in their inbox in the morning a lot. Um, and so we should be there. So I want to ask you about original reporting because I think there's, it seems like there's two schools of thought on it. Um, there's one newsletter I get, it's like a CNN media newsletter that they do original reporting or, or original commentary maybe sometimes is maybe closer to it. And that's clearly important to them. You got a site like the one I work at, The Athletic. I just think there's so many pieces of content on a daily basis that the newsletter may be better served by just um, if you're going to highlight like a really, really important story that The Athletic did, that in itself could sort of be the lead item. You don't need to sort of do some kind of new original reporting, which might not have the same kind of weight as a reported story that exists on the site. That's going to be, in my opinion, Kendall, the case for you at Yahoo is you, you already have a lot of really good reporters who are probably going to write something that day, which is which is an easy lead for you. But philosophically, how do you think about just original reporting when it comes to a sports newsletter? I think uh, for sure we will be doing plenty of that. Um, my thinking in terms of like, do you do it versus not do it? Really, when it comes to this newsletter, it's like, what does the day's news kind of require? Right? Like, if if there if we have a really interesting report that feels fresh, it would be silly not to lead with that. But if you know, I would never want to be in a situation where we're saying every day our top story is original report, and then you know that day when there's nothing that crazy happening in sports, and it feels like maybe this would be a better day to just lean more into all right. Here's like a you know a, a roundup essentially. Like I, I like I like the freedom of being able to do either one, but I, I can tell you already we're we're planning ahead in terms of original reporting. And again, back to what I said before about being in a sports newsroom surrounded by a ton of talented reporters, it actually, from the newsletter uh, perspective, allows us to plan ahead much more and you know, not so much waking up every day to write the newsletter for tomorrow with a blank page. We often will have, oh, we know that, you know, uh, Dan Wetzel has this column running tomorrow, so we we we're prepared. We know that's there. So that that's the other benefit of it, like the foresight and the the planning ahead when those original reports are you know a story that takes months or weeks or whatever it does. So you're basically, um, I would think, like in terms of your planning, like you do that through Slack or some kind of Slack like um, um, setup with the other people at Yahoo, so you know what's coming ahead of time. Yeah, so we, we're we're certainly like I, I've I've talked to almost everyone. Um, so far, you know, really pretty new here still, but trying to get to be familiar with everybody. And what I've told the rest of the newsroom is essentially, look, we're not trying to make any work for you guys. You guys already have your workflows. You guys already have a ton of your plate. Think of us as we're looking over your shoulder. We are, uh, you know, keeping an eye on what everybody's up to, and we will make sure that we're highlighting, we're surfacing all the great work you're doing. So I don't want to come in and be like, hey, can you write this for us? Or hey, um, you know, can you, can you help us write this? It's more like, hey, you wrote this, we're going to highlight it for you. Or hey, um, you know, the only thing I, I'll ask of a reporter is maybe like one sentence or two sentences to give a quick quote on something. But we do not want to make any work for anybody. We just want to take the best stuff and make sure more more people are reading it. Before you got to Axios uh, in 2019, I think my if my timeline or chronology is right, um, you uh, you worked uh, you, you had a newsletter called Sports Internet. U ultimately, you sold that to Axios. So, if I'm doing like my sort of time frame here, 2017, 2018, when you're working on Sports Internet, did you feel like you were at the forefront of something? Uh, because you know, in many ways, like you know, you're obviously early. It's not like newsletters hadn't been done before you, but you were really early, I think, in terms of like this becoming like a very, very big thing. And I wonder if when you were working on Sports Internet before Axios uh, 
purchased it, if you, I don't know, did you feel in some ways like, I, I know I'm on the cusp of something big and eventually like the world's going to catch up to my thinking? Certainly was part of my hypothesis. So I had previously to Sports Internet, I had worked at a company called The Hustle and I wrote the daily newsletter there that was covering tech, business, startups. And, you know, there were plenty of newsletters. It was still fairly early there too, but there was plenty of newsletters covering that, politics, you know, other verticals. And literally the reason I started Sports Internet was because I was now familiar with the daily newsletter space. And I said to myself, wait a second, why is nobody doing this for sports? Um, there was a, you know, maybe one or two or three, like literally no really good newsletter out there covering sports on a daily basis. So yes, I, I felt like I was the forefront in the, in the in the sense that you know newsletters were still somewhat early, and I just could not for the life of me understand why there wasn't a really really good daily sports newsletter. So absolutely felt like I was the forefront. Did I did I think that everybody you know it seems like would would follow? Maybe not, but quite frankly, as a, as a sports fan, as a sports consumer, I'm I'm excited and and happy to have more competition uh, because I think it's a great way to help sports fans follow sports more easily. Obviously, there's no way I can, I mean, you would know more than me. There's no way I can know if every uh, significant sports media publication in the U.S. has a newsletter or, or, you know, especially legacy ones. My sense is they don't. I would think you must be like me that in 2023, if you're like some kind of midsize or large scale daily newspaper, daily daily outlet, I should say, let's forget about the word newsletter, a newspaper. Um, it, it seems crazy to me, right, not to be, providing what you provide for the people who are still willing to invest in your product or pay for your product by subscription. Totally agree. I mean, I think uh, a newsletter is a great way to build brand equity and, and voice faster than you could with just creating content for a website, for example. I think um, it's, you know, I wouldn't say it's easily, easily, easily scalable because growing a newsletter does remain fairly difficult. It's not as intuitive as click follow and now you're following. You have to add your email. You know, it's a little harder to grow newsletters. But, um, you know, like I said, it's it's a really effective way to build brand quickly. Um, not much cost involved, right? I mean, even if you think about a newsletter versus a podcast, there, you know, not to say a microphone is super expensive in some cases, but we don't have to buy a microphone. There's not much technology. You just need uh, a way to send the email and words, right? So it, it's just, I think it's a really effective medium for building something quickly, leanly, and uh, something that can really kind of promote what you're about in this living document that everybody gets every day that you couldn't really do with, you know, even on a website. It's it's just putting it all in one place and really allowing people to see what you're about, what you're doing, um, you know, on a daily basis, weekly basis, whatever you do. How have you found social media is as a tool to promote your newsletter? Is like Twitter or uh, Facebook or Instagram or Threads are these good? ways to promote it or ultimately is the best promotion that like the um the brand itself like sort of makes the investment to figure out how to get like e like direct emails yeah it's a great question i think actually i made a pretty strange to some people's mind maybe choice when in the sports internet days to i just didn't have any social media and the reason was i always feel that if you're not going to do social media well you should not do it because there's nothing worse than you, know, you follow this. No, many people are not taking your advice, Kendall. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like if you, you follow a publication, oh, they do really good work. And then you go check out their Instagram or their Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it. And they have five followers. You know, it's like, why? Like, just don't do it. Um, so I didn't use social media at all early days. Um, obviously, going to lean much more into that now at Yahoo because we have huge audiences across these platforms. I think the way I think about it is... Because the newsletter that I'm doing, at least, and, and many newsletters, you're creating like really tight, efficient, kind of almost prepackaged content already. A lot of that stuff is very easy to use on social media. So, like, we have a we have a trivia question every day. I've already talked to the Yahoo team. Like, we should be putting that tri uh, tri uh, trivia question on Instagram Story or TikTok or X. You know, however you want to use it. So that's how I think about it. Like, we're already essentially doing the work in the newsletter reverse engineering it in a sense, we can then give it to the social team and they can use that to A, create content for social. And obviously each time you do that, be like, oh, and this this came from the newsletter, sign up so you can get this directly every morning and not have to find it here. So that's how I'm thinking about it now. It's like, we're already essentially doing the work. Why not repurpose it? Uh, just so it, so people know, it's called it's going to be called Yahoo Sports AM. Is that the official title? Correct. Yep. Okay. All right. So people can, and uh, if you go to, uh, well, obviously I'm sure if you go to Yahoo Sports, it'll be all over there. But if you go to Kendall Baker's Twitter feed or X feed, sorry, K-E-N-D-A-L-L-B-A-K-E-R, you could also sign up 
um, for it there. All right, a couple more here. You know, when you're at Axios, I would think that there, um, you know, there's just a logical nexus where if you decided you wanted to delve into some stories uh, in sports that may cross into the political or the the social um, or like media, like in your in your space. Well, no, or I'm saying like for instance, well, what's sort of like a good example? Okay, like a good example might be the um, there's a lot of debate uh, regarding the United States women's World Cup team uh, because they received criticism, like let's say including from Carly Lloyd, etc. And some of that then became a bit of a culture war play for some who are saying this team's not likable. Here's why. I feel like at Axios, like if you decided you wanted to sort of delve into like that kind of story, there'd be no issues with that. I mean, Axios, of course, is like a massive political uh, machine. Yahoo Sports may be different. So I'm wondering for you, like, do you feel like you have the freedom and flexibility to link to anything or are there guidelines now because you're at what's more of a traditional sports site versus Axios, which ultimately at the end of the day is a political site? Yeah. Uh, I think I have complete freedom. And in fact, I, I wouldn't have taken this job if I didn't. So simple answer, complete freedom. Yeah, no, no, no. I appreciate that. All right. Um, you know, I think um, you hit on this a little bit in this conversation about the skills of a really good curator. But I'll ask you directly. For you, what are the, what are the skills of a good curator when it comes to uh, the kind of content you put together? Yeah. Well, first, before I get to the skills, I, I, I must acknowledge that if you're going to be a good curator, you need a system. And I have built a system. So I have this RSS feed that has every source you can imagine that allows me to quite literally read the internet, if you will, and to do it in a very organized way. So I can kind of turn the spigot on, turn it off. I'm not overwhelmed. So I, I think of it as this, if I miss something, it's it's on me because it's there in my feed. So that's the first and foremost thing. If you want to curate, you got to create a system to allow you to do so. Because if you know if you're relying on going to websites and it's you're going to spend your whole day trying to find stuff, I have a system that like surfaces it for me, and then it's my job to decide what's important. And and it also, by the way, allows you to when you see all this stuff next to each other, it allows you to connect some dots and be like, oh wait, that's actually related to this, or that that's actually maybe the big picture of what's going on here. And all of a sudden, you're connecting all these dots that maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise. So that's first and foremost. Um, in terms of the skills, I think uh, you know you have to be knowledgeable uh, in the in in what you're covering. Like I cover all sports, and I'm weird. Like I'm obsessed with every sport. I'm not somebody. I'm not like the oh, I love basketball and football and don't really care for hockey. Like I love all sports, and so I think you know having the knowledge of those sports and knowing what's important, knowing what's you know happening tonight. Um, just kind of being on top of everything allows you to curate because you're you're know you, you know what you're looking for, uh, you know you know what's coming, um, you know what happened last night, and I also think like th th this is not a science; it's very much an art. Um, you have to kind of have a feel for like how do you balance the quote unquote important sports stories of the day um, with you know maybe some stories that people wouldn't have found elsewhere. Like I tell people this all the time and it, it, this is exactly why it's an art and not a science. I did a poll one time with my readers and said, because this is the decision I have to make the most. I said to them, when I, when it comes down to sh uh, sharing the quote unquote important story or the story you won't find elsewhere, what would you rather me do? And the responses were literally 50, 50. So that's, that, that kind of shows you that it's an art because you, there, there's not, anything to say, you should do this, you should do that. It's really just your feel for it. You get feedback from readers and just, it's, it's, it's a balancing act. And um, I think, you know, over time, as you get more and more feedback from readers, more and more data, you get more comfortable trusting your instincts. Um, and ultimately that's what you're relying on, like the trust of the reader that you are choosing the right stuff and you are, you know, covering a balance of sports and not just beating people over the head every day with NFL stuff or, or whatever. The you do not have to give me a sports answer here at all. In your opinion, who does this stuff good? What what company has consistently put out good newsletters? In your opinion, um, I think you guys are doing a really good job, actually. Um, you know, I, as somebody who who produces a newsletter and reads a lot of newsletters, I think the pulse is great. I also think it's really cool to see you guys try uh, verticalizing it. You know, I yep. baseball the windup, yeah, yep, yeah. So like. I think you guys are doing a really good job there, and and as as you said, like there's so you guys are producing so much content that 
I wouldn't say it's making the newsletter writer's job easier, but it's giving them more to work with. And um, so, yeah, that that's you know, not not trying to uh, suck up too much. Genuinely, I think you guys are doing a really good job. <laughs> that's well. This podcast is independent from the athletic, so I don't consider this sucking up at all, Kendall. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, all right, so here's the last one. This is just something I'm thinking about. It could be like uh, it could be an inane idea, and you could tell me like you're an idiot. This is just dumb. Okay. That said, you know there I could make the hypothesis that any writer with any kind of following, including a small one, could really help um, grow their following by doing an individual newsletter of like, even let's say it was weekly at the end of the week of what they did. Sort of like, here is a curated newsletter of what I did this week with some voice and analysis of what I did. And then maybe, I don't know, some kind of original take on something um to me it just strikes me and this is again something i think you've done really really well obviously for the companies that you did it but if the thing like in theory would work for a large-scale company why would it not work for me as an individual content provider i think that's brilliant you like in this day and age it's all about carving out real estate right carving out headspace uh where you can and the beauty of newsletters particularly ones that create a habit or at least send consistently. So whether it's, you know, like you said, weekly, like if, if your followers know that every Friday they're going to get a roundup of, you know, all the stuff you wrote and maybe like you said, like another message or something kind of exclusive to that, then they come to expect it. They, you know, they, they come to build a deeper relationship because again, you're in their inbox and they're, you're coming to them and they don't have to find you. Like, yeah, I, I would, I would tell everybody to, uh, do a newsletter if you can. Obviously, don't do a bad newsletter because that's going to hurt hurt you, and also it's going to hurt all of us because you know we're all fighting for that new, uh, that real estate in the inbox, and the you know everybody is starting a newsletter now. And my fear is that if too many people do it and they and and too mu- too many newsletters are are bad, uh, it, it will have a net impact, net negative impact on all of us. Like podcasts, it's like we're not all you're not all competing for like the inbox, obviously. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities, but uh, like too many bad newsletters. Were, so my, my message to everybody is start a newsletter, but please do it, do a good job. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Kendall, um, you know, I, I, as I told, uh, Ryan Spoon, um, who I think is a really, really talented guy now sort of in charge of Yahoo sports. I thought you were like a great hire. It was really, really smart thinking from him. Kendall Baker's, um, new morning newsletter is coming Monday, August 28th, which again is the day that this podcast comes out. It's called Yahoo Sports AM, and you will be able to sign up for that newsletter through a variety of means, including if you are on Yahoo Sports' website. Um, and he'll provide essentially a snapshot of everything that you need to know to feel like you were caught up on what happened the day before at sports. And again, this is a guy who like succeeded wildly at Axios, and there's a there's a reason why Yahoo Sports wanted to bring him over to to head up their newsletter and cross platform strat- strategy when it comes to newsletters. Uh, Kendall, man, I wish you the best of luck. Um, again, I, I think you're uh, you've been a really uh, uh, you're a real innovator in the space, and that's always interesting to me. And and I have no doubt you'll do the same at Yahoo Sports. Um, thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thank you so much, Richard. This was awesome. We should do it again. All right, as I said at the top, uh, Jenny Carlson was a longtime sports columnist for The Oklahoman, which is the largest daily newspaper in Oklahoma. She has since moved on to selloutcrowd.com, which is a new sports digital startup, which will have, obviously, written words, podcasting, and video. That starts September 1st, and even if you are not in Oklahoma, I think this will be an interesting discussion because Jenny is among a at this point, a pretty significant group of people in sports who have decided to leave legacy places and move on to start their own uh, digital kind of uh, experiment. And with that, I bring on Jenny Carlson. Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Hi, Richard. I have to say, coming on after your last two guests, who uh, I think were Chris Fowler and Mark Spears. I mean, that's it's, a lot uh, to live up heavy, to, it's friend. Heavy company, Jenny. I feel confident, though, in you. I'm, 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 I, I, you're, you're right there. Let's give it a go. All right. So you worked at the Oklahoman for 24 years. Uh, 
Yep. And uh, your last day, as you wrote in your column, was August 20th, 2023. Um, so a couple things on this. Do you remember what the circulation was when you started and what the circulation is now? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I th- think at some point uh, early on in my employment, we were probably, you know, and this was really before the internet, there was a site, but I don't really know if we counted anything off of that. But I think we were circulating 200,000 or something like that print papers. Um, Sunday circulation was somewhere in that ballpark, if I remember right. Um, as far as what it is now, um, I don't actually know because, you know, so much is based on digital subs anymore in the newspaper business. Um, but we were we were not anywhere close to the 200,000 that we were at sort of or 250,000 or whatever it was at the height of, um, of sort of those print numbers, which would have been, you know, somewhere in the early 2000s, probably. So, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, dropped off as most major newspapers have seen those numbers fall. So the reason I ask that is because I want to get a sense, in your opinion, given that you are someone who did it, can a sports columnist, st- general sports columnist, as you were, still be impactful in 2023 in a world where legacy newspapers have declined? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think the answer is yes, and I I have a feeling sellout crowd is going to be a good barometer of that because myself and Barry Trammell, who was also a general sports columnist at the Oklahoman, are two of the the people who have left to join Sellout Crowd. And a lot of what Sellout Crowd has decided to do is build the brand and, um, and the marketing around Barry and I. So where, you know, where does our brand hit? You know, how does it resonate with people in Oklahoma uh, does it convince them to come to sell out crowd and not only check us out, but, you know, the work of many talented beat writers and other content creators that we've got coming over? Um, I think that's that's going to be an interesting uh, metric to look at here in a few years. You know, what what is the impact of Barry, myself? We've actually got a third um, newspaper columnist, uh, sports columnist, uh, Garen Emig, who was at the Tulsa World for many years. He was actually um, fell victim to a layoff at the Tulsa World back um, uh, late last year. But he's also one of those names, voices, faces that people in our sports market know well. So Sellout Crowd is really branding a lot of uh, its early marketing around our our faces and and what we've done over time, and so I I do believe that we have we have some some sway. Um, people want to know what we have to say, what we think about different events. They come to us for help me understand what's going on here. But I do think sellout crowd is going to be an interesting measure of just just the importance of columnists in today's media market. All right, so we're gonna let's start talking about sellout crowd because the, the you know that was the reason I want you to come on because I don't think it's just an uh, like an Oklahoma story. I think it's something that people nationally can be of interest. The real and by the way, obviously I don't know much about the Oklahoma um, sports media market. You know, I grew up in New York City. I now live in Toronto, and so you know, like I, I'm putting it out there that like this is this is generally speaking foreign territory to me outside of what I'm reading. That said, it seemed very clear. That you and Barry, who I've never met, Barry Tremel, right? Am I pronoun- am pronouncing yeah. it? Okay. Correct. So it's very clear that you guys had standing at this paper. Seemed like you could have worked there for a long time. I saw how the Oklahoman sort of said goodbye to you guys. This was not acrimonious at all. It was quite frankly the opposite. So there must have been a reason that your group decided this was now the time for us to sort of see if this could work. Why? W- what was that reason? Why did you decide to do this now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, maximizing our potential in a lot of ways um, because of the way, uh, you know, it's not anybody's fault necessarily, but a lot of the legacy media, you know, um, if you're talking about newspapers, have deadlines that have become harder and harder to actually have game coverage in from a game that even starts early afternoon. And so we've sort of been hemmed in by some factors that 
you know, are just where they are right now. It's the, it's the way the production line has been set up. And we really wanted to see if we could maximize some things that, um, you know, we could build on our brand and monetize. We could do a different way of monetizing, distributing, uh, marketing, um, sort of how we think about, you know, what we do and how, how we package those things online. Um, I, I think that's a lot of it is just taking a lot of what we've done for the last, in my case, 24 years, taking a lot of what we've done and what we've enjoyed most and continuing to do it. You know, people have asked, so what are you going to do? And my answer is it's a lot of what I've really been doing. It doesn't change a ton, but you know, it, the, the structure and how we're going to, um, you know, release that information into the world is going to be different. Um, we don't have print deadlines to worry about. We de- we have a, a staff that is going to be able to, we're going to do robust podcasts and video shows. So to, to have that ability to then um, have our faces and our voices actually out there for people, you know, to see, to continue to build that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that um, our founder is actually um, a guy that used to be um, a, a, an assistant sports editor at the Oklahoma. And so I've known him for years and he really feels like that, you know, we see these, um, you know, TikTok stars, these influencers who get paid, you know, these big bucks for a 30 second video on, you know, makeup or fashion or whatever. I, I don't, not much of a TikTok person, so I don't know what they're doing out there, but I know they're monetizing it. Their knowledge is being monetized. And so the, the, if that's possible, why can't people that have an expertise in a, a statewide sports scene be able to, you know, sort of take that to the max and use all of the tools at our discretion online to, you know, monetize it, but also to, you know, share it differently, share it more broadly than we have, you know, in, in recent years. So I think it's a lot of factors that tiled up to why now, but, you know, we've got this, this great resource of, of the internet. And it felt like we previously were using it to a degree, but it feels like we've got the ability now to really expand our reach and, you know, how we're, how we're, how we're touching sports fans that are, that are passionate about OU Sooners, OSU Cowboys, Oklahoma City Thunder, and those sorts of things. The, the person that you, you said before, the, the editor who, who you who you called the founder is, yeah. um, one of my questions was going to be, do you have a, uh, like a point person in the like in the editorial director role as opposed to the writers who normally um, do not have the experience. You know what I mean in terms of running a staff and assigning stories, et cetera. So we so our founder Mike Kaler uh, does have a background in um, in sports in sort of traditional sports media, if you will, um, and he'll have some uh, some insight and some oversight into you know what we're doing, um, you know what we're writing, what we're covering, podcasts, videos, that sort of thing. But we do have what you could I don't know exactly what his title is going to be, quite honestly, but sort of in that editorial director sort of a role, uh, Mike Sherman. He was actually a sports editor. I, it was my sports editor for several years. He was on the sports editor at the Tampa Bay Times for for several years. Um, he's continued to be in an editor's role, um, but not for sports specifically here these last couple of years. But he has an extensive sports media background as well as actually was a past president of the Associated Press Sports Editors Group. So he's um, he's well plugged into to the, to the scene and he'll be he'll be directing and helping us to decide what to write, when to write it. Um, how to post, where we, you know, what form do we want these things to take? So he's definitely going to have a lot of of help in what we do as individual creators. How many staffers do you have at launch, roughly? So um, there's three columnists. Then we have three writers that are um, handling colleges to start with, and two that will be overseeing our Thunder coverage. And then we've got two more that won't be writers necessarily. They were. Um, longtime radio uh, radio personalities in sports and they'll be coming over to do um, primarily pod pod and video shows. Um, they'll be doing a little bit of writing I think but a lot of the uh, they'll be more digital and where the writers will be kind of hybrid between the the shows and the written word. 
One of the things that I've learned, uh, or I, I certainly learned at Sports Illustrated when I started doing a lot more at SI.com, and it really became apparent at The Athletic, is you can have a great content plan, and you can have terrific writers, you could have terrific uh, podcasters and video people. But so much of the success of this stuff, Jenny, is really about like sort of what happens behind the scenes. Like, do you have um, the right data people? Do you have the right people who know how to do IT? Do you have the right people who know how to construct an app? Do you have the right people who can troubleshoot? Do you know what I mean? It's it's everything that, generally speaking, as writers, we don't often think about or are not trained. But you learn that really like what separates like this either from being successful or not really has many times nothing to do with how great or, you know, your reporting or writing is. Um, usually that takes funding, and I'll get into that in a second, but um, at least when it comes to you guys at launch, like, do you have at least a couple of people in those positions who really can handle sort of the back end of what the business will be? Yeah, it's a great question. And obviously, like you say, there's some things that as, you know, media types, even those of us who've been in the business a while, we've had to learn because it's the way the business has gone. We're doing things that when we went to journalism school, we didn't learn, but we had to learn how to do it because it became mandatory, essentially. So there's definitely things we can do. But for example, our podcast and video shows, we have a producer who has done extensive work with podcasts. So like, that's something that if somebody sat down, they could probably teach me how to do, but it's really not something I have an expertise in, but she does. And she's going to be our lead on, on the uh, production of the video and, and the podcast. So yeah. And, and yes, IT people, we've got people that have, you know, when we, when we left the Oklahoma and said goodbye to our laptops that we'd had, you know, I mean, it's simple things, right? I mean, you're trying, you're trying to figure out like, okay, I had this laptop for, you know, 10 years or whatever I had it for. Like, now what do I do? I have no more laptops. So, you know, people that have, you know, provided, have helped us to get, um, you know, where we can actually produce what we need to produce. And we have the ability to do that and then can troubleshoot. We've definitely got people in line for that. So um, will we need more potentially? I think that that's one of those things that you don't know until you suddenly find yourself in need of more people. But I do think that we've got a, um, we've got a group of leadership at the top that realizes that if we need to, if we need to add, we will, and we'll figure out how to make that happen um, to make it, we, you know, we don't, obviously, like you said, you don't want to, have your content, you know, disappear or not appear anywhere, you know, it's got to actually get out to people. So the ability to do that, um, I feel good right now. And as we get going, it may be that we need to add and, and, and our leaders have been really responsive to hear those needs as they've arisen. You, uh, you may, I mean, I get you probably be judicious when it comes to how much proprietary things you want to tell me on this. That said, when it comes to these kind of projects, um, you do need some kind of um, capital. Uh, you know, the athletic obviously uh, was started by venture capitalists, very, you know, significant round of serious fundraising money where they were then able to use that money to staff up to, to you know, hire writers as well as hire the behind the scenes people I was talking about. Um, do you feel like I shouldn't say do you feel like do you have like a, a year or two of runway here where you feel like you guys are funded to make this project or at least give this project to go for a good, whatever, 24 months or something like that. Yeah. Three years is, is, uh, has been what we have been working with. And that's the, that's the money that, uh, is, uh, I, I, and again, I don't know how, I don't know how this works. I don't know how funding works. I don't know if you're saying that that's been, uh, given to us through the funding streams, or I don't know how to say that, but three years of finances, is what we have sought and been provided. And now we'll be working to, you know, go through the channels to get that paid back. But we're not, we're not going to have a subscription model. Okay. That was my next question. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Our founder, Mike Kaler, uh, you know, sort of has this, has this feeling that, you know, a lot of newspapers are in like, you know, three months for a dollar or whatever, media sort of seeking out, you know, a, a, a low level entry point for subscriptions. And, his, his belief is that we can go and find partners and sponsors. Uh, we can go out and find 20 that are willing to give, I don't know how the math will work out, you know, uh, $50,000 each to have their brand associated with our content, as opposed to, 
um, you know, 50,000, um, you know, subscribers that are willing to pay $20 or whatever the, however the math works out equally there. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's the plan and that's where we are headed and we've had good returns so far. Um, we had people out working, um, talking to people locally around the state as well to try to plug into potential, uh, sponsors and advertisers. And before, Barry and I and several others announced that we were uh, or officially announced we were a part of this. There was sort of a lot of, um, you know, we're starting this thing and we're going to have some big names, but we can't say who. <laughs> so for a while they were operating, you know, talking to these potential um, uh, donors and sponsors with, you know, kind of, you know, w- w- we we promise we're going to have some some big names for you, some people that are going to be recognized as, you know, creators in the market, but they couldn't actually use our names for a while. So I know they were, you know, strung a little bit, uh, strung up a little bit by that, but they were still making good gains. And now that the team has been announced and the site has been, you know, not obviously the content's not launched, but people can go there. They can see the site. uh, They can see uh, who they want to follow, who they want to get alerts from, all those sorts of things at this point. I think the traction is picking up that people are seeing what we're going to do. Um, they're going to be able to be associated with, you know, some people that are well-respected in the market, plus, you know, great coverage of our local teams that are so near and dear to fans here, just like anywhere in the country. That's the thing. We really feel like this is something that could potentially be scaled up at some point and could work in other markets. Is that a focus right now? No, we want to make sure we get this right and we want to do it right and launch you know, well on September 1st. But we do believe this is something that if you've got you know, great creators, um, and a lot of markets have great creators who are in those traditional media, whether it's radio or newspapers, and you know, have have also people that are maybe not as well known, but are good, solid creators following other teams potentially in that market. Um, you know, that's basically that's what you need because most of these markets with major league teams or even really solid college scenes. People people want to be associated with the coverage of those teams because you know people are so passionate about this stuff. So we do believe it's something that could be scaled up. But like I said, we're going to take care of this right now, and that's going to be a future thing we talk about. Okay, so it's interesting. Advertising basis as opposed to subscription based, mm-hmm. um, which is a little bit different than what others have done. Um, I do wish you luck. I don't know if this is you know it's an interesting conversation. I don't know if I if I, if I would have been part of this i think i would have gone for subscriptions but maybe that's because i'm work for a subscription site so we'll see how that plays out what i want to ask you though is um again just based on like logic like wouldn't the oklahoman be your primary competition initially or uh or am i incorrect in that assumption I think in some regards, that's probably true. Um, Although, you know, as it relates to our college football teams, which is a huge college football state, we've got we've got digital only that are among some of the bigger um, draws for for readers. And so, yeah, the Oklahoman gets a lot of readers, but we've got um, uh, three or four web only sites that are covering these teams and you know, get a lot of really good traction. So it's not it's not just a one uh, you know sort of traditional media dominating everything. I think we've definitely seen a flattening of the of the scene, if you will, as it relates to just how many people are covering these teams. And and I think the other thing is is that you know people are so especially with you know the younger generations who are talking Gen Z or whatever this next generation is. <laughs> Why? It's all, it's all, yeah, it's all so digital, you know, it's so on your phone. So the idea of a site or, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's who, who do I, who do I want to read? Like, who do I think is covering this team well and I'll follow them. And so I think we've seen that again, it's sort of a flattening of, uh, people being loyal to creators and not necessarily these big media brands anymore. So they, they I think that's a, I think that's a whole, uh, you know, mindset shift that those of us who are maybe a little bit older, it's, you don't always think in those terms, but I think for a younger generation, that is the way they think. Yeah. No, you're, by the way, Z is after Y. I don't know what I was thinking there. You're correct. Z, yeah. There's a, we'll figure out what one is after Z. Uh, I think, I think it's already been tabbed. In fact, I should know. All right. A couple more things. The, 
So in terms of what you're covering, obviously the two big uh, colleges, Oklahoma State and the University of Oklahoma, will be prominent. The Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, is there any other coverage area than those three to start? No, those are our primaries. Now, uh, myself and Barry and Garen Emig are the three columnists uh, on the site. All of us have sort of dabbled in sort of the stuff that falls outside of those three, um, some high schools, um, some crossover, obviously, because we've got such a huge, um, huge audience for OU and OSU football. Recruiting, Recruiting right? Recruiting is obviously huge. So as it dabbles into the high school scene, you know, we'll, we, we will do that too. And I think all three of us have always had an eye for those those stories that are, you know, great personality stories or a great human interest story, um, stuff that maybe doesn't fit in a box, but we feel like this is a, an important story to tell. And our intent is to continue to tell those stories as well. Um, we know, we know what our, we know what our big, what our big brands are. We're not going to stray too far away from the three that, that are at the center of things, but every once in a while, there's going to be a story that, we feel like we need to tell. Um, and so we'll do that, even if it's not necessarily within those three um, main parameters. We'll, we'll still continue to, to, to reflect the sports scene in the state, even if it's not necessarily with Crimson, uh, Orange, or Thunder Blue. Brett Dawson will be doing Thunder stuff? Yeah, Brett. And then we have a second um, Thunder person named John Hamm, not the actor John Hamm, spelled the same though. Um, but John is actually a local guy who um, started, uh, got kind of got his start in Thunder Media, if you will, working for us at the Oklahoma in a bit. He is a guy that is very way smarter than any of the rest of us, quite honestly, writing on the content side of things. But he had an eye for contracts and the CBA and all things sort of technical inside the NBA. And so we had him write occasionally um, in the early days of the Thunder being in Oklahoma City, just about how these contracts work, how the CBA works, how what the impact of these trades or these deals, which obviously now the Thunder had have 7,000 first round draft picks in the next, you know, 12 years or whatever it is. Um, having John's expertise is going to be amazing. He's also done some radio, so very plugged into the NBA scene, but um, not the not one of the known commodities necessarily um, as it relates uh, kind of to the big media brands, if you will. Yeah, no, Brett uh, works for the Athletic. He's a really talented guy, so that's a really good hire. And I, the Thunder, to me, um, are just a really interesting team. Just like nationally, um, actually this morning uh, as we're taping this, Jenny, Shea Gilgis-Alexander just rolled for Canada over uh, France, a huge win. Yeah, um, yeah. But um, – you know they're really they're an exciting team that's going to be good for a while as long as management doesn't screw that up, which I don't expect them to. So I think that feels like a hidden gem in terms of potential um, audience. Okay, as um, as we're we're um, we're coming to a close here. So if I wanted to consume your content, I could. There's a dedicated website, so I'll be able to check it out on that. You guys mentioned that you're going to have a podcast and videos, so in some form, I'll be able to get that where I get my podcasts on Apple, right, and and Spotify, and uh, YouTube will have your videos at a certain point, or maybe this even happens at launch. Like, is there a plan to have an app of anything? So if I I can eventually like read this on my um, exclusively, let's say on my phone, as opposing to going on Google Chrome and then you know what I'm saying, typing out the URL. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know that there's an app planned right away. But the way we've set up, um, when you go on the website, you can sign up, which you're not subscribing again, because all of this is free. But you can go on there and indicate that you want to know uh, anytime there's an, a, a thunder anything. story or alert. Yeah. I got it. Okay. You yeah. want an alert. So you would get an alert for anything thunder related. So that would come to your your email, which obviously everybody has on their phone. So that's our that's our initial plan in terms of how to get that information out. I'm people are so in love with apps. I'm not any different than anybody else. Um, I know getting those alerts through apps is hugely important, and I think that's probably one of those things that once we you know get solidified with with the website, um, we we may move to something like that. It wouldn't surprise me. 
but hopefully having the, the ability to let people pick and choose what they're getting from sellout crowd um, will, will, will give them the flexibility to get those alerts to know after the Saturday night OU football game when our, you know, first story posts and here's, here's our analysis and here's some video and, and it's coming. So you see it, um, you know, as those alerts pop up. So hopefully that will, uh, you know, let people know, okay, it's time to go check this out. And that will, that will help to direct. And so, cause we know that people are not usually setting down at their laptop or their desktop, going to a website, they're consuming it on their phone. So we want to be, we want to be present and we want to be with you as you're on the move um, in your car, going home from the game. You know, we want to provide um, once you get home, wake up the next morning. Like we want to have those things so people can consume them just like they consume anything else right there on their phone. Last two. Um, is the plan now, especially because you have major college football teams to travel road and home or just home? Yeah, we'll be on the road uh, the same as we are at home. The plan right now is uh, we've got three riders going to be at every home and road Oklahoma and Oklahoma State football game the whole season. Um, so unless unless they they deem it unnecessary by being really bad or something, I would assume that that's going to hold. And there are there will be some games that will uh, even have more than um, the three at. And then the last thing, and again, I think this is something um, a lot of people listening to can relate to, whether they're in the sports media business or not, and certainly a lot of the people who I've had on as guests. I would think for someone like yourself who's um, who's worked at the same place for a long time, which is rare in this industry to start with, um, there has to be something liberating, right, about like maybe the chance to build something. And I wonder for you if it's like um, – not that I think like you ever would get like that you were tired of writing per se, but do you feel like even on a personal level, like maybe re-engaged because you now get a chance to build something as opposed to just sort of being part of something that was built before you? Yeah. I mean, it, I think that's a hundred percent a factor. You know, it's obviously changes is, is a lot of things. Change is scary, change is exciting, change is nerve wracking. And it's been all that and it'll be all of that for a while. There's zero doubt about it. But I, you know, I, I, I obviously the, the newspaper business changed a whole lot from when I first came to Oklahoma in 1999 and now i mean it, it the earth moved under our feet and we had to adjust and you know it was online and it was video and it was podcasting and you know just all of the things that that came into our purview so it changed it changed as we went along so it was never stagnant but i think over the last few years um it I, we i i've i've sensed it maybe sort of were you know, newspapers have sort of figured out, okay, this is what we're going to do. At least a lot of them. Okay. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to you know, stick to this and let's go. And so it has been a little bit more stagnant, um, you know, and so a chance to, to do more, more video, more podcasts. Um, that's something we had actually gotten away from at the Oklahoman. And I missed a lot. I really like getting people um, on the podcast, uh, on the video to talk, their, get their expertise, you know? So that was something I missed and a chance to do more of that. And then, you know, to, to, um, to sort of, to marry that stuff that is going to, that I liked, I want to do it again with stuff I have always liked. And then we know it's always going to change that earth that moved under our feet while I was at the Oklahoma it's going to keep moving. I don't know where it's going. I don't know how it's going to move next, but we know it's going to change. So the chance to yeah, get on the the front end of something totally different and dynamic. Yeah, on a personal level, it's definitely energizing. You definitely want to throw yourself in there and and give it all you've got. So we're yeah, we're stoked about it and um, really can't wait to to get things launched officially on September first. Now, Jenny Carlson is part of a pretty interesting experiment that's going to happen in Oklahoma. She just mentioned. Um, selloutcrowd.com, her uh, which she is part of a new sports digital startup with a number of other uh, well-known Oklahoma-based sports people begins on September 1st. As she said, you'll be able to check that out uh, on the site. There'll be video, there'll be podcasting, won't be a subscription site. It'll uh, be something that you'll be able to get to free of charge. So obviously for the people who listen to this podcast, who are fans of those teams, maybe not necessarily um, are living in Oklahoma now, it probably will be something you'll be interested in. Uh, Jenny, um, thanks for the time. Again, I, I think what you guys are doing like, has implications far beyond 
you because if the template works, you're going to be able to provide a template for others to um, to go for this in, in, in different markets. Um, so I wish you guys the best of luck. And thank you for coming on the Sports Media Podcast today. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it a bunch. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Kendall Baker and Jenny Carlson for their time and insights. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Head back to the archives. Um, We've had some really good guests lately. ESPN's Chris Fowler on uh, doing play-by-play tennis, college football, his new NFL schedule. ESPN's Mark Spears, uh, who uh, just recently uh, was awarded the Kirk Gowdy Media Award by the Basketball Hall of Fame. Again, one of the prominent NBA voices out there. Uh, we had Sam Mewis of the United States national team and Men and Blazers founder Roger Bennett on um, their experiences covering and talking about the World Cup. ESPN president of content Burke Magnus gave us 60 minutes. That is a long time for an executive of his level and uh, a lot of news or a lot of, I think, at least interesting insight coming out of there. Head to the archives. There should be other stuff you like. If you like this stuff, please leave us a five-star review. And a nice note, that is how this podcast continues. I want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his, for all his hard work. Uh, thank you to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And most of all, thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.